I'm Caleb Matthews. And I'm Mary Hoofnagel. And welcome to the What's My Therapist Reading Podcast. We read books so you can decide what's right for you. And today we're actually talking about Emotional Labor by Rose Hackman. Um, and we had the pleasure of her joining us for this book club uh, experience, or at least part of it. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit uh, about that and getting to speak with her uh, a little bit later. Uh, but we're going to start off with some summaries. Um, so why don't we go uh, back and forth on some of these summaries. Uh, so the first thing that I wanted to cover is just a definition of what emotional labor is. And so according to the author, uh, Rose, she says emotional labor is women and girls editing the expression of their emotions to accommodate and elevate the emotions of others. Um, so that was kind of the, the first definition I got. Well, it's really just a jumping off point. Yeah. It's quite a complex topic, which is, you know, one of the things that made it hard to figure out how do we sum up this book? Because um, she covers just quite a lot of ground. It's a very rich book, very dense book in the best way. Um, and so, yeah, we, we just are kind of talking about some of our takeaways. These may or may not be in like chronicle off chronological order of what you might find in the book but uh, the first thing um, a, a really big takeaway for me was the concept of empathy in action um, and um, the kind of like the partner of that idea is that you know just women that are expected to be empathetic and do empathy in action empathy has sort of become well that's just a feminine trait so like yeah, I you know, I you're just good at that. That's why you do all the empathy things, the care work, um, and that that then that's what kind of makes the labor of it invisible because it turns it into like a trait of of being a woman. And I love uh, very early in the book she talks about a study that was done um, where the first thing they did was was give group of men and women like a task. Um, to identify the emotions of other people in different situations. And they just gave it to them blindly and men and women performed equally well. And then when they discuss, when they started to introduce the task as like a, an interpersonal task, yeah. a more feminine trait, then women, perf women perf performed at a higher rate than men because they were performing their gender. Yeah. And men performed lower because they were performing their, their gender. gender. Yeah. And then it's called the $1 study because they added another layer where they told everyone it was an interpersonal task, but if you identified um, the emotions correctly, you got $1. And there was also a $2 incentive, but once there was a financial incentive, both males and females performed yeah. equally well and their performance increased. So I kind of, that was a big takeaway for me of this well yeah and one of the big takeaways for me around the one dollar study is that like it showed that everyone has the capacity right. for this trait like that it wasn't some sort of deficiency in men or something like that like it's like no everybody can do this if given the right incentive <laughs> everyone um, can do this yeah but women are just given the incentive like society just expects it of them whereas men 
society kind of expects the opposite, uh, which we'll get to in a second. I guess I can go yeah. right into that with the the idea of the man box. Um, so they did this other study that happened in 2017 that she cites in the book um, that talks about the man box. And so it's a set of beliefs that are communicated by like parents, family, the media, peers, um, other members of society that place pressure on men to be a certain way. And the ways that they place this pressure, there's different categories of it or pillars. And those were self-reliance, toughness, physical attractiveness, traditional gender roles, straight and being homophobic, hypersexuality, and having the final say. And a lot of those things, those pillars that I just named, can go on to affect men in like very like bad ways it can give them like worse life satisfaction worse mental health it can hinder their friendships and support seeking it can increase their uh, risk behaviors um, it can give them false ideas about what attractiveness is like needing to look a certain way usually to be like larger or more muscular um, it can also cause like bullying and violence to increase so i mean this man box is a pretty big problem and she she covers that pretty well in this emotional labor but i i really loved that chapter about men and the way she she gave words to that and also talked about how each of those pillars sort of leans on each other um just like she draws out a map of how it all works and it made me think of you know when we read man enough some of these concepts are things that yeah. Justin Baldoni talked about from like his lived experience of how this man box impacted him and how he navigated the world and all the ways you listed the areas of life it impacts you in. But Rose sort of gave it like a name to be able to be like, yeah, this is the what's happening that creates that kind of lived experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Justin Baldoni too. Great resource, great shout out to uh, Man Enough. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a podcast that goes into some more of this too. So if the man box interests mm -hmm. you, highly recommend maybe reading his book or maybe even listening sure. to his podcast. Yeah. So another takeaway for me uh, was kind of this idea where she talks about women's intuition really being subordinate's intuition that, um, you know, when you are the subordinate in a power dynamic, you're sort of tasked with um, kind of being attentive to, like, the, the leader to, like, keep their emotions in check. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that because this is where it starts to kind of open up that more that this book isn't just about how this impacts women. Yeah. But it impacts all of us because, and I, that's one of the frustrations sometimes with women too and their male partners is it'll be like, well, but you could, oh, I'm just bad with schedules. That's why I can't keep track of, you know, all of the things the kids are doing. But then it's like, well, but if it were, keep track of your schedule at work for your boss pretty well and manage those yeah. things. And so I think while she doesn't talk about it in that explicit type of example, like it gives like the 
sort of undercurrent of what's going on to make sense of a lot of these experiences yeah. we have where there's a disconnect. And when she's talking about that subordinate intuition, she kind of gets into the double standard of it all. Um, yeah. And how you get caught in a, in a double bind sometimes. Yeah, well, and I think that uh, the $1 study that we've already even mentioned goes into that subordinate piece, mm -hmm. too, because it's talking about, like, do men have the capacity to do it? And it's like, yeah, you can do it in one area of your life or, like, mm -hmm. if you're given the right incentive. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that I really appreciated her having, like, not only examples, but, like, research that shows that what she's saying actually has, mm -hmm. um, like, bones and muscle to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, the other thing that really was, I think, useful for me is she talks about like a timeline of rights and like how basically the history of society, um, whether that's talking about like slavery or like women's rights um, and just giving a timeline of like where emotional labor like got its roots and how it shows up in society mm -hmm. throughout time and um, gives countless examples of like the idea of a mammy who is like a person uh, who is depicted uh, as like this kind of emotional wellspring um, who doesn't have any needs um, that like doesn't get to take any of their emotional bandwidth back home to their actual family because mm -hmm. they're here to serve this white family. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's uh, like part of where emotional labor comes from or like um, just lots of like so many examples like that that are so poignant and like sometimes hard to read which we'll get to in a second with the trigger warnings yeah I'll talk more about that timeline yeah trigger warnings too um, yeah so and you know another part of what happens with this double bind is she defines the, the kind of double standard pretty well in her quote um, it says that the starting point is women should do most, meaning most of like the care work, almost immediately puts men in a position of easy praise for doing more than nothing, and women in a place of deficiency for doing less than everything. It also makes women the default workers and men the default beneficiaries of women's work. And so, like, we talked about that um, in the yeah. group about. The idea, right, that people will say, like, oh, he's babysitting his yeah, kids today the, the, when the they're death. talking about a dad. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, no, he's, like, parenting his kids. Yeah. So like, And so much praise for, like, doing that. Like, you're so wonderful. And yet women are expected to, if you take a day off, like, you're also, like, yeah. sort of shamed a little bit. Yeah. Or... I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is whenever people say like, oh, the dad is babysitting. It's like, no, he's just being a dad. So yes, yeah. I, uh, that's so, but yeah, just to, Mary and I both had this exact same quote and we were like trying to decide who <laughs> would get to say it. And so both of us are saying it. I'm going to repeat it now of men getting credit for doing more than nothing and women being deficient for not doing everything. Like, I just yeah. think that that I is such a good summary of a lot of what this book is talking about. Well, I think what's so powerful for me about that quote is it comes after this um, laying found the foundation of the fact that it's because we feminize 
care work as a trait, as a feminine trait. Like, so you're just expected to be that. If you're not, there's something wrong with you as a person and it should just be easy because it's natural for you. Um, which is the other thing she says about like, just because you're good at something doesn't sort of negate the toll that it takes. Um, and you know, the fact that that's a myth, um, the toll that it takes. And so she calls into question to rethink how we think of power and value, um, because at the moment power and status come with not performing empathy. Like, in fact, if you perform empathy, she talks about this at several points in the book too. Like you perform empathy, you might lose power and status because our, we don't value caretaking at the heart of our societal structure and hierarchy. Yeah. 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 Well, and if you're wanting to know more about any of this, um, like what we're talking about right now, at least like highly recommend, uh, one of the people who is blurbed on this book is Eve Rodsky and she uh, has a book called fair play Mm -hmm. that does a really good job of talking about that. Some of the invisible work that's happening. Um, in the context of, of, uh, domestic partnership yeah. in particular where so this book talks about it across a lot of other contexts yes yes this one yeah. gets into like politics and like so many different she areas talks about servers and how you know servers are basically emotional labor and isn't it interesting that we have a tipping culture around servers who yeah. perform so she gets into it more broadly but Ebrodsky's book is is very specific yeah, well, and does, like, a really good job of, like, pointing out, like, uh, she also has these cards that you can get mm-hmm. that talk about um, different things that a couple might do. Like, yeah. oh, mailing out Christmas cards, like, that's something that I think usually and, like, mm-hmm. in a stereotypical way, like, men might not recognize that as an actual piece of labor. But there's so many of those, like, little things yeah that are just kind of like almost expected of women. I think that's what she's getting at here. And that's why I wanted to like shout out that book. So if you see this happening in your partnership, Fair Play uh, by Eve Rotsky might be a good thing to go check out. Also, Rose Hackman's content on social media is great too. She talks about this a lot and understanding the difference between mental and emotional labor, where they overlap in these types of care tasks. Yeah. What are your trigger warnings? Uh, yeah, so we talked about this a little bit, uh, <laughs> but like the trigger warnings, it almost seems like I am trying to say like almost trigger warnings for everybody um, because men might have a tough time reading this because it calls out inequity that they sometimes benefit from, whereas marginalized communities might have a hard time reading this because it has some examples that are like tough to swallow, like the mammy example that I brought up earlier um, or... Um, like milk production, uh, there was a example that she brings up around like how, uh, back once again in slavery, there was, they would have, uh, the white the slave, slave owners. The white slave owners get would, pregnant the same time as the they, slave. Well, they would orchestrate yeah. sexual assaults for the, for the domestic labor, the, female laborers to be pregnant so they could so they would have milk production around the same time which is just insane to me but like a lot there's a lot of dark history we haven't contended with yeah well and like that can be incredibly triggering so i mean like i'm already thinking right now like i'm like oh well we're bringing up these examples that are also triggering even when telling you this but 
that's the sort of stuff that I guess to watch out for whenever you're we're doing this. What about for you? Because yeah. I know you had some stuff. Well, to I say. think. Well, and I think also, you know, one of the things about what you were saying is that a lot of this exists in the blind spot for men, so it'll be triggering to see what's in your blind spot because then you have to contend with yeah changes you might need to consider, like you know, which at the moment benefit from this. So you gotta release some of that for the betterment of others, which is a hard mental emotional space to be in um and you know hearing the examples played back to you again can be triggering like you were saying for marginalized communities some people also have internalized misogyny and this is really going to call out some misogyny and some things that many people do that they haven't even considered are misogyny um yeah uh, another triggering piece to be aware of, she uh, she calls out sexual assault and, like, the sexualizing of young girls' bodies and how from a very young age, you know, we talk about girls' bodies in a way in which they're, like, they're for the pleasure and girls are supposed to manage their bodies to impact, like, the sexual self-control of other <laughs> of others like yeah. you know the dress codes are like wear shorts that are too short you're you're tempting all these men and kind of purity culture that sort of vibe comes up she yeah. talks about the me too movement and the kinds of stories that she was hearing from people and just how a lot of low-level sexual assault is just kind of normalized to the point where you know we don't yeah we just kind of accept it. Well, and to be like, just to give um, some background on Rose Hackman, like she's a journalist. So she writes about this, like, and writes about all sorts of different levels. So like, we've been hearing Mary talk about like Me Too. She like gets into like politics. So I mean, she'll talk about like Dr. Blasey Ford and like, oh gosh, uh, Hillary Clinton. And like, there yeah, are so many. Whole, yeah. The whole section about the Kavanaugh hearings really hit deep for me too. She really covers so much ground in this book. Yeah. There's a lot of things that she, uh, she gets to. And I think that that's um, just to go into like the general vibes, mm -hmm. like, that is one of the things that I think is a strength of this book. Um, uh, like, I, I'll probably get to it in the benefits section as well, but, like, the uh, examples that she gives and the definitions that she gives, like, she just gives countless examples of where emotional labor is showing up, um, which we've already mentioned a lot of them throughout the podcast thus far. Mm -hmm. But some of the, uh, like, really helpful definitions for me um, was she brings up um, the idea of de-acting and selfless acting. So de-acting is like whenever you tweak your internal feelings to match the situation. So you actually change how you feel. And then um, selfless acting is whenever you tweak the display of your emotions. So actually not changing how you feel, but changing how you act. Like you're, you're just changing the display. The emotion is still the same. Um, which I think might be an important distinction for some people, especially if you're a therapist, um, like I am. Um, and then uh, the other one that I thought was really useful is uh, she goes into Jamil Zaki's um, empathy definitions, where he defines uh, emotional empathy as, so emotional empathy, cognitive empathy, and empathic tendencies. Um, and he says emotional empathy is whenever you feel vicariously for what someone's going through, 
cognitive empathy is whenever you're able to think about what their experience might be like. And then empathic tendencies is wanting a person to feel better. And all three of those combine to be empathy. And I just never heard about his research before. Um, and so that was really useful for me to get to, to see that yeah. empathy de definition. So examples and definitions are my big things for general vibes besides that we got to talk to her, which was really cool too. Yeah. I, the Rose, thank you once again. I think we yeah. all thanked you like a million times, but your, your work, the emotional labor of this book and getting to hear about the journey as, of how it sort of unfolded and, and really how much care you took with it. Like one of the things that really struck me in talking with her is, you know, when she was talking about, like, as she was going through all this and researching and seeing, like, this topic, we just became bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how do I cover everything and how do I do it in a way that is sensitive to all the pieces and especially, like, the intersectionalities and it, I mean, she really does an incredible job keeping all of that in mind so you can tell all the all the kinds of thoughtfulness she had about what people's experience would be reading this book and seeing themselves or not seeing themselves um and she said like you just get to you know she had to get to a point she's like i i could do this forever and i still i still won't get it all and i won't get it all right and it's for the next person to pick up and carry the work forward where it fell short um and that's part of that's part of what building a community of care looks like. And she talks about a community of care. It's like all of us doing this together. So she's done this piece. There's more emotional labor for us to do in support of her and building this different kind of space. Yeah. Um, people were very emotional. I, I cried when I like thanked her. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting that, but so like I wasn't expecting to feel those emotions in that way but when she was there and I was saying it it was like oh I feel how profoundly this impacted me yeah differently and many people had the same things to share with her just gratitude for feeling seen in this book I mean a lot of people in the group felt very seen yeah yeah I I think that getting to have her there and getting to hear her speak about this mm -hmm. um it really brought it like you can tell that she cares so much about this topic and i mean that's evident in her book too but to get to yeah like our experience in the world like, yeah yeah and she's just yeah it, she was incredibly generous and so kind um and just yeah like as mary said thank you again uh if you're listening to this podcast episode we we really appreciated getting to hear from you um, and all of what you shared, I, I know that one of the big pieces for me and one of the big takeaways was, um, whenever, uh, Mary, I know you got to talk about like hope and sacred rage with her. Well, I, what she said really brought up the idea of sacred rage to me. Um, cause she, I, so one of the questions I had for her is like, gosh, when we name all this and like how you try to explain it and just false flat sometimes and it's like 
it's so obvious though. Can't you see? Please help me. I don't want to be trapped in this space. Yeah. And it starts to feel hopeless, especially when you see how far reaching it is. Um, and so I had asked her like, what do you do to, to come back to hope? And her response, she was like, well, I mean, and I think she was just responding to the experience of encountering all the things that make you feel hopeless. And she said, I mean, I had, I had so much rage while writing this book, like as people were sharing their stories and countless and countless stories. And it made me think of the idea of sacred rage because, um, it's this, it's this rage that moves you into action. And so in that sense, it's a hopeful rage, a rage rooted in the need for real justice. Yeah. And I really think she, she truly wrote a social justice book and did it quite well. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that was uh, to move into the next section. So, like, uh, the benefits and drawbacks. Like, benefits for me, I know that I've already said it, but, like, mm-hmm. having so many examples and definitions. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just very, very clear mm-hmm. with her definitions of, like, what's emotional labor? What's the acting? What's selfless acting? Like, mm-hmm. she was just so clear um, and then gave, like, countless examples um, throughout the book. And so that was mm-hmm. helpful to get to see. What about for you? I agree. I, I appreciate it. it. It is. It's just such a wide range of examples in so many contexts. And and the intersectionality with which she approached this work, the attention to intersectionality, um, is a huge benefit. Uh, it's so well-resourced and researched. You can tell she this really is a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like... For drawbacks, I was trying to think of some, and the only one that I could really come up with is, um, dang, Rose Hackman, like, you didn't solve, (laughs) how do we fix this emotional labor problem that's just been entrenched in our culture for hundreds, thousands, millions of years? Which, you know, isn't necessarily fair to place on her, but that comes back to that idea of, like, where do we find our own again? Yeah. And I think part of it, though, is, like, this is the first step in that is just being able to name it and point at it very explicitly and and for more people to, to start to see it at least be open to, to identifying it because we can't until more people see it, we can't recognize where our values currently sit and shift our values to something different. Yeah. That takes first awareness, which, you know, the drawback that I could think of is this book is, is a lot like um and again in the best way but you know it it's overwhelming to notice all the things to unlearn and and new things to learn in their place yeah Um, the work of deconstructing is always going to be a lot yeah i i agree with that and like go back to our triggers and warning signs uh, like I guess section uh, to hear more about that too but yeah like this book can be a lot um, and I just I, I kept wanting more from this author to like hear what what she thinks can or like where where's the next steps in the work like I wanted to hear more from her um, which I think is always a good sign of a book um, I'm ready for another re- ready book. for more <laughs> yeah which she did tease a couple of her future projects um in in our book club uh which they, we won't go into just in but case but they all sounded yeah. interesting i was like yes yeah. i would read a book about any of those things yeah so. <laughs> yeah 
Um, so who's the book recommended for, would you say, Mary? I recommend it for everyone. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it may not be for everyone in the sense that you may not read it and be like, Oh, I love that. It is for everyone in the sense that it's up to everyone to build a more equitable society and cultivate communities of care. That's up to everyone. And you want to participate in that you got to learn some of this stuff in this book yeah you have to be willing to look in your blind spots or maybe even see the stuff that's hard to look at so yeah i think that's exactly right and i feel like i don't know once again in alignment for who the intended audience is like i think that's who she wants it to be for is like yeah we didn't ask her though did we yeah we didn't which normally we do whenever we get to talk with the author but it felt like it was i don't know it felt clear to me of like everyone also when you're a journalist i mean the work you're doing is broadly for the public for the most part yeah like yeah well and yeah i think that so many people potentially everyone can get something from this book even if it's to name some of the feelings that you've already been feeling like having a name to them like emotional labor Mm -hmm. can be um incredibly impactful and empowering hopefully she certainly works to make space for everyone in this book yeah yeah well that wraps us up for today so thank you so much for joining us yeah and uh follow us on goodreads or instagram by clicking the links in the notes and until next time we'll see ya Bye. bye